Although it's not for the squeamish, the Oscar-nominated movie Hacksaw Ridge tells the incredible true story of the faith, love, and courage of Desmond Doss, a young man from Virginia whose faith and his understanding of his own personal capacity for violence convinced him that for him it would be a sin to take up a gun. And yet at the same time, he was called to serve in World War II. Although his civilian job actually earned him a deferral for military service, Desmond Doss chose to enter the Army nonetheless as a conscientious objector so that he could serve as a combat medic. Now, along the way, his refusal to pick up a gun led to abuse, humiliation, and formal punishment in boot camp. And he was often accused of being cowardly and weak, even lazy at times. But He stayed true to his faith in Christ and his conviction that he needed to serve his country, just not by force of arms. Desmond Doss had a gentle and humble spirit, but it was one that was made out of iron, with resolve and courage that was built on a rock-solid faith in Christ that he demonstrated over a three-week period during the battle for Okinawa in April and May 1945. After his unit reached the top of a 400-foot cliff, nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, what they don't show in the movie is that he was one of the three guys who climbed the cliff to hang the nets that the rest of the soldiers climbed up on. His unit came under withering fire from the enemy, and, and most of the unit retreated back down to the bottom of the cliff. And in the process, they left Doss and 75 wounded men on top in an area swarming with the enemy. Over a 12-hour period under enemy fire, Doss single-handedly carried each of the 75 men to the edge of the cliff and lowered them to safety. And according to his own account, I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get more and more, one more, until there was none left and I'm the last one down. Doss continued to demonstrate his heroism over the next three weeks, but director Mel Gibson actually left these additional acts out of the movie because he thought it would be so unbelievable that the audience couldn't, wouldn't buy it. And so for his sustained courage under fire, Desmond T. Doss became the first conscientious objector in history to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor, our nation's highest award for valor. And I share this story for much the same reason Mark shared this video, because it illustrates aspects of the original meaning of the English word that is most commonly used to translate the most important word of Jesus' third beatitude. This fall, we've been looking closely at each of the beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, and and we've seen that they contain key blessings and values and attitudes and privileges and responsibilities for those who are citizens in God's kingdom. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen in God's kingdom. Jesus himself is the perfect embodiment of all these values, and as his followers, every single one of these values needs to be something that characterizes our daily way of life. But unfortunately for us, this morning's key word has almost completely lost its original meaning in English. But for traditional reasons, even the most modern translations continue to use it. And so we struggle as we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as Americans, we tend to think that meekness is for losers. 
We're not a meek people. We're not forged in meekness. We're a nation built on ideals like individual grit and determination and heroism. And we've, we've grown up on stories of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln of military triumphs. We've watched the cinematic exploits of John Wayne and Mel Gibson and Chuck Norris. And so while the meek may inherit the earth, I think most of us struggle to see how that fits in in any meaningful way with modern American life which does not seem to appreciate or approve of meekness. Now, for historical purposes, neither did the Greco-Roman world in the first century. They also did not value meekness. But does all this mean we get to ignore this beatitude simply because it doesn't suit our personal or cultural norm and ethos? Absolutely not! unless you simply have no interest in inheriting the earth. So if we can't ignore this beatitude, the question is, are we fundamentally misunderstanding what Jesus said? Well, I think that's the case, and that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to take this blessing seriously and do the work it takes to understand what it means so that we can pursue this true meaning, because indeed, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as I've sort of implied, much of our challenge with this beatitude comes from the ongoing evolution of the English language. You may not think about English changing, but it is changing constantly, and that includes meanings of words. And meek simply doesn't mean what it used to mean. So according to dictionary.com, meek right now means humbly patient or docile, as under provocation from others, overly submissive or compliant, spiritless and tame. This, I think, is the picture most of us carry in our mind when we hear this word meek, when we hear this beatitude and say, well, that's not for me. We picture someone mousy and weak, silent and crushed by life. But this is absolutely not what Jesus was describing. And so we need to erase that picture from our minds. That is not what meekness means in the context of the Bible. If it's helpful, replace it with a picture of Desmond Doss. He is meek. See, dictionary.com gives us a little bit of insight because it provides one obsolete definition of meek. Gentle, kind. This is much closer to what Jesus was talking about. Because biblical meekness describes humility, gentleness, and consideration for others. The word that's translated as meek is the Greek word praus. Praus in its various forms appears throughout the New Testament, but usually everywhere else it is translated as either gentleness or humility. That's who Jesus is describing as blessed, the gentle and humble. Blessed are those who are gentle and humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not weak or cowering. Meek is not wishy-washy or indecisive. As Christians, we are called to be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus, and he repeatedly used this word to describe himself, as Philip already shared. Right In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus described himself as praus, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's praus. 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So here, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who was present at creation, by whom all things were made, through whom all things hold together. Even right now, this moment, he is holding together everything in creation. He is meek, gentle, and lowly in heart. And so despite, or maybe perhaps because of his power and authority beyond imagination, he can be completely meek, humble, and gentle. Once again, Matthew describes him as praus, humble, gentle, and meek in Matthew 21.5 as Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, praus, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So one of the very proofs that Jesus was indeed the anointed Messiah of God was that he was humble, gentle, peaceful, and meek. Riding in Jerusalem on a donkey rather than on a mighty war horse as the conquering hero. To be meek is to fully live out that poverty of spirit that we talked about two weeks ago. The meek recognize that we are unworthy and that God is righteous. That we are weak and that God is strong. And thus we can accept our need for a Savior. The meek are humble, knowing that as Christians we are the beloved children of God and therefore we don't need the world's approval and applause and status. The meek are gentle, recognizing that we don't have to take the things of the world for ourselves by force of will or violence, that we can trust God to direct the events of the world. And so we can put others first. So that's meekness, but then comes the blessing. What does Jesus say awaits those who meekly submit to the will and the authority of God and live a life of humble service? Jesus says it's the meek who will inherit the earth. And this is a very literal inheritance. Jesus is reiterating here the words of Psalm 37, 8 through 11. And I have actually found these verses incredibly helpful this week as I have been struggling with meekness in one arena of my life. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the inheritance of the meek, the land, peace, delights. Ultimately, Jesus is pointing us to the truth that is taught throughout the Bible that we see perhaps most richly portrayed in Revelation 21 and 22, where here in the final portion of God's story, we see what is yet to come. The full restoration of God's creation and the glorious eternal life of Christ's followers as we live and work in the very presence of God himself. Revelation 21, 1 through 3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the earth that all who follow Jesus will inherit. The good news goes on and on from this as you read the rest of Revelation. This is the earth we're going to inherit if we are meek enough to accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the earth that all will inherit who are meek enough to accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. Perfect, peaceful, sinless, eternal, and with the unveiled presence of God in His glory right there. This is the blessing of meekness, and it belongs to all who humbly and gently kneel before the throne of God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, are you meek? Do you take this beatitude seriously, or do you blow it off and say, that does not apply here? If you are not meek, the biblical definition, then Jesus' blessing should be challenging you. Because Scripture is very clear that Jesus was meek and that we are to become like Jesus. That if we are a citizen of heaven, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we seek and pursue this blessing. So God's Word says to get your meek on, whether you want to or not. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 command us to put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. What Paul is saying here is that meekness is something that we can and must choose to put on. It doesn't just naturally come to all of us. And so even if you are naturally aggressive or combative, prickly or loud and in your face, whether you're inclined to assert yourself strongly or or plow down all opponents and obstacles and, and kick down the doors that are put in your way, If you have been ingrained from birth to look out for number one, Paul says, stop. We are to put on meekness. To put it on like we put on clothes this morning. He says that it's both a choice and a deliberate action to be kind, humble, meek, and patient toward everyone. Even that jerk in the next seat over. You see, meekness is mostly about how we relate to others and to God. So it takes our attitude and our understanding of those who are poor in spirit, what we talked about two weeks ago. It takes that attitude we have, and then it applies it with grace to our everyday relationships and encounters with other people. So putting on meekness means recognizing and remembering your own sins and shortcomings every day. And, and, and being meek remembering, remembers that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it alters the way that we relate to others, even in the midst of their sin and shortcomings. 
Putting on meekness means recognizing your ongoing need for a Savior to forgive and restore you from your daily mistakes and faults and shortcomings. And that because you do, you can show grace towards the faults and shortcomings and mistakes of others. Putting on meekness means that rather than trying to run our life and the world around us, we can trust in Jesus Christ to not only save us, but transform us. It believes fully that he is both the author and the perfecter of our faith, that we are not. Now, once we have enough meekness to accept the truth of the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are guaranteed to inherit the perfected earth to come. We indeed receive the blessing he described. But even after entering our blessed status as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to admit that for most of us, we we remain a work in progress when it comes to meekness. This is why Paul, as he is writing to believers in Colossae, right? They're already believers. They're already in the kingdom. They're already kingdom citizens. But what does he have to tell them to do? Put on meekness. Putting on meekness means that every day, good days and bad days, work days and school days, weekends and holidays, we choose to live like we've been saved by grace. We remember that God loved us and and pulled us up out of the filth of our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not through any particular good deeds or, or awesomeness that we possess. Putting on this awareness every day lets us defer to God and to others. It it lets us put others first. It lets us forgive the driver who cuts us off and the coworker or supervisor who cuts us down. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great 20th century London preacher, explained meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Finally, I'd put it like this, he says, we are to leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of God, and especially so if we feel we are suffering unjustly. He's not blind to reality. Rather, he's saying that meekness allows us to choose to take this approach to God and to others. But more than just putting it on in the morning, meekness is something we're actually called to walk around and use all day long, and that is even harder. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 implores us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. That's praus again. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's not enough to just start the day with a good, meek attitude. That is where we should start, but let's face it, right? Practical theology often uh, runs into our intended theology about the time other human beings start crossing our path in the day. So it's good to start with the good, meek attitude that we put on, but Paul says we have to keep using it all day long, even with our infuriating coworker, our irritating neighbor, or that fellow Christian who disagrees with us about what kind of music should be going on in the worship service. To walk in meekness is to choose to put others first in our families, in our offices, our classrooms, 
and our church. It means putting the needs and desires of others before our own because we know that God will provide us with the ultimate fulfillment that we need through Jesus Christ. And so to walk in meekness is to choose to free ourselves from from malice, from a vengeful spirit. I need to get back at people. I need to be recognized as right all the time. I need for our ego to be stroked or our, our earthly status to be affirmed continuously. So how's that working out for you? Are you truly meek? Or are you still kind of fiery and proud, quick to argue and take offense? I urge you, I beg you to make extra effort every day to put on meekness and to walk in it all day long. But but the truth is, for most of us, we need help with this. For most of us, meekness is unnatural, and we're going to struggle at times, and we'll have better days, and we will have worse days because of our ongoing human desire to be acknowledged, affirmed, elevated, celebrated, or deferred to by others. So I ask again, are you meek? If you aren't, but you truly want to be, the Bible has more good news for you. Because even as you must be striving to put on meekness, God's Holy Spirit wants to transform you and make you genuinely meek. You see, Scripture is clear. On the one hand, we need to choose every day to first put on and then walk in meekness. But Scripture is also clear that we grow in meekness as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 explains, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, right? Into the very image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, Jesus Christ was perfectly meek. He was meek even to the point of permitting himself to be tried and judged and condemned by a Roman governor. Permitting himself to be mocked and beaten and flogged by Roman soldiers. To be executed brutally on a Roman cross. At any moment, he could have summoned an army of angels to come and defend him. But Christ, in his meekness, submitted to all of this, to the horror of the cross, to redeem sinful mankind, that's you and me, from our sins. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit to become like him, including his meekness. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, from the moment we receive salvation to the the moment we die, we are growing if we are growing in our relationship with the Lord, then we will become increasingly meek. But note that if, if we are growing in our relationship with the Lord. To really savor the full blessing of meekly relying on God and experiencing His work in our lives, we need to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We need to be developing that relationship with God. Now, nothing is more transformative than spending time in God's Word every single day. Nothing is more powerful or opens our heart more to the working of the Holy Spirit than reading and thinking about and meditating on and memorizing God's Word. So if you are not reading the Bible every day, I want to urge you as strongly as I can 
please start this very simple habit. You don't have to read it for five hours a day. Get started for 10 or 15 minutes a day. There is nothing that is going to change you more if you can keep that habit up. Now, as a church, as part of our building up effort, we are actually going to be publishing several Bible reading plans in the fairly near future to help you get started or resume if you aren't already in the Word every day. And I guarantee you that if you take this step, you will begin to experience extraordinary transformation. And more than just reading, though, we really want to become people who are thinking about what we read. So I want to urge you to take time to really meditate on some key verse from what you've read that day, to, to think about it every uh, couple times a day, maybe during lunch, maybe on break, to turn off the radio sometimes when you're on your commute and just think about what you read that morning. Perhaps if you really want to go, go far and, and gain a lot of transformation, choose a verse to memorize each week. This is the perfect time to start. The Beatitudes are really short and pretty memorable. And then when we gather here on Sunday mornings, be sure you're here to truly worship God. To personally kneel before the creator of the universe and praise him and love him. Because true worship opens your heart up to the Spirit's transformation. So I would urge you, don't just come here to kick back, have an experience, enjoy a few songs, learn a few Bible facts, and catch a few Zs. Sing passionately the words of the songs. And you don't have to like them. Just throw yourself into it. Pray along with the prayers. You don't have to like the style of prayer. Just affirm the prayer. Hear and apply the message of the word of life. You can have other thoughts. You don't have to agree with everything that gets said, but hear it and apply it. As we worship and pray and read and meditate and memorize, as we, as we, enable, we are enabling the Holy Spirit to really work in our lives, to work wonders in our lives. It won't be an overnight thing. But there is nothing more encouraging than looking back on where you were a week ago or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago and realizing what an incredible change God's Spirit has worked in your life and in your, your soul and in your heart and in your mind and in your habits. And you will become meeker even as you more richly experience the kingdom of God in your heart and in your life. <laughs> As followers of Jesus Christ, we will inherit the earth. That is the consistent promise of Scripture. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are also called to try and strive to be humble, considerate, and gentle in all of our interactions with others. Because that's the meekness of Jesus Christ, and that's what he calls each of us to become. Well, this is a daily challenge, the Good news is we are never having to go it alone. God is with us every step of the way, transforming us even as we genuinely seek to be transformed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a verse that challenges us. It goes counter to what we have learned in our culture, counter to what we believe is essential for success in 21st century America, counter to our nature. Lord, I pray you'll help us to truly come to appreciate not only the meekness of Jesus, who was never weak, 
but was truly meek. I pray that this is a work you will do in our hearts. But help us to be dutiful and diligent in seeking to make this change ourselves, to really be willing to put others before ourselves. To set down the things we strive most for of this world and instead strive for your kingdom. Oh, this is our prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.